Welcome all you good movie buddies to another review recap episode of The Popcorn Diet, a podcast for those who live on a steady diet of movie theater popcorn and other movie snacks. As always, my name is Rick Williamson, your very best good movie buddy, and I'm running solo today to bring you another review recap episode. Now, if you've never listened to our previous review recap episodes before, they are designed for us, whether it be myself or myself and, uh, you know, the Canadian machine to sit down and just do kind of a quick rapid fire conversation about the movies that we've seen that we didn't get a chance to review or that didn't get their own episode and kind of bring our thoughts to just some of the movies that are currently out right now. And and it's a good opportunity for when we're really busy. Usually these review recap episodes pop up at this time of year because we are busy traveling for our real jobs and, you know, we haven't gotten the opportunity to turn this into, you know, a, as, as much of a money maker uh, as it is a hobby. Um, and so, Again, this is our opportunity to recap some of the movies that have come out before. And I got four different things that I'd like to talk about today. Uh, kind of as a wrap-up to the spring, winter, spring season, you know. We're wrapping up the first quarter of 2019. There's been a lot of spring films coming out that we're going to be covering the summer movies and the big movies are on their way. We just had Captain Marvel hit, obviously, but we have Us, Dumbo, Avengers, De Detective Pikachu, Godzilla. We got a whole summer of stuff coming up. And so this is our opportunity to kind of take a break and talk about some of the movies that I think, you know, are pretty good. Um, I... I I doubt that I would be talking about any movies that I didn't like unless they were, you know, big movies. Of these four films, you know, some of them have been out for a while. Some of them have been out for more than a month. And that's, you know, that's okay. I think it's important to still bring them up. Maybe you're looking for a movie that you want to go see right now and you haven't gotten a chance to go to the movie theater. So we're going to talk about some older movies as well. Um, the first one that I want to talk about just briefly is Alita Battle Angel. And again, this is by no means a small film, so to speak. You know, it got 60% on Rotten Tomatoes. It got an A- minus cinema score. Uh, it's made almost $400 million worldwide, so people have certainly gone and seen it. But for those of you who don't know, Alita Battle Angel is a live-action adaptation of the uh, the manga, uh, which is a Japanese anime um, comic book, if you will, called Battle Angel Alita. <laughs> so they just moved some words around. And it was adapted by James Cameron, big old Avatar Titanic James Cameron, and Leda Caligridis, which I'm probably butchering that name. She is a, a Greek American screenwriter and creator. She helped create, uh, she helped create uh, Altered Carbon for Netflix, and it's directed by Robert Rodriguez. And it's set way, way far in the future in 2563, and the Earth, you know, is devastated as they tend things tend to be that far into the future. The classes are split; they're the haves and the have-nots. Cybernetic enhancements and cyborgs are common. The residents of Iron City, the people who live in sort of the dusty, dirty, grimy Iron City, you know, they they live their lives, but they dream of being able to join Zalem, which is the, you know, the big wealthy city that floats in the sky. The thing about sci-fi adaptations or original sci-fi, which this is not fully original sci-fi, this was adapted from a previous source, they always have an uphill battle because sci-fi and fantasy in particular, 
and you see this a lot more with fantasy adaptations, they have such a hill to climb in terms of getting the audience to buy into the world that is created. You've seen successes of things like this in Avatar, in the Harry Potter series, and you've seen a lot of different failures, whether it be Stardust, the Chronicles of Narnia petered out, um, the freaking Allegiant series just die or divergent, excuse me died on the vine as well. It's a very difficult thing to get people to buy into the universe that you're selling. And a big part of that and a big part of the success is being able to, you know, convey that fully lived in universe, that world building um, that happens. And I think Alita does a really good job of this. I really liked Alita Battle Angel. I think from everything from the special effects to the sets, the concepts in the film, such as like hunter warriors being bounty hunting law enforcers or the sport of motorball itself, all of these concepts actually work really, really well together. And it doesn't hurt that it has some really, really great production design. The various different cyborgs and robot, you know, adversaries in the film are created in such a way that it really like woke up like the 12 year old in me and was like, man, this guy is different because he's got saws for hands. And this person's, you know, this lady's different because she's like a she turns into a spider woman made of blades and stuff. And I dug that. I dug the different uh, details that went into each and every cyborg. Now, the other thing this movie has going for it is a crazy stacked cast. And you'll hear that a couple of times throughout this. One of the one of the through lines over the first three films that we're talking about is that the casts are just absolutely incredible. You got a ton of Academy Award winners and nominees. You got Christoph Waltz, Mahershala Ali, Jennifer Connelly, Jackie Earl Haley's an Oscar nominee. You got Ed Screen in there. And then you have two, and there's some cameos that I don't want to spoil, but there are two relative newcomers as well. You have Rosa Salazar, who plays Alita and you have Kian Johnson who plays Hugo and those are our two kind of main young star-crossed lovers um, you know in the thick of the plot those are our two main characters and they're you know they're really good I'll talk about Rose in just a little bit but to have this cast put together on top of some of the cameos of some big names that I don't want to spoil really helps solidify you know the legitimacy of this type of film um the other really really cool thing about it is like i mentioned is that the world is so interesting whether it be the buildings and the design and the tangible items that you can see and feel but also most importantly the concept of these bounty hunters and motorball and they kind of work hand in hand together because both involve these crazy badass cyborgs and the idea is that these hunter warriors are essentially the replacement for police and military. There really aren't any police and military out here. But when you commit a crime, you then there's a bounty put on your head and the, the hunter warriors going to hunt you down dead or alive. And these guys, these guys, again, like I said, they're super detailed. You got the blade people. You got one Ed Screen plays one who is kind of like a vain, you know, dipshit, and his cyborg is all ornately detailed and decorated and whatnot, and they're just cool. Um, the other thing is motorball, which is the sport that they play in Iron City. It's the it's the main sport that they play. You see that they play it on the streets like basketball, um, and then they also have gigantic, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Leagues 
where it's essentially rocket-powered rollerball or a roller derby mixed with the demolition derby with cyborgs. And it's really – there are a couple roller uh, motorball sequences in the film that are just really cool. And it's really helpful that Robert Rodriguez knows how to stage action in a clear, concise, exciting way. Now, that being said, the action is great. The special effects are great. But the love story, as you know, there tends to be love stories in these types of things, pretty pretty cheesy. Um, super cheesy. Extra cheese. There are a couple lines in the film that are – they're laughable. You know, there's a point where somebody says to Alita, like, you're the most human person I've ever met, which is just blatantly untrue. Uh, there's another moment where uh, she offers her heart to somebody by literally taking it out and saying, do you want my heart? Listen, if that's a deal breaker for you, then you might not like this movie. But to me, everything else outweighed that cheesiness. And I kind of bought into the cheesiness. It was a little sweet, but it might not be your thing. And that's, you know, that's okay. Uh, the last thing that I'll say about this is that when the trailers came out for Alita, it seemed really, really weird. You know, she's got these big eyes. They really wanted to make her character reflect the style of animation in anime. And typically those are oversized eyes and pronounced features and things like that. And in the trailers, it was distracting. And in the movie, it plays really well. Alita is an amazingly realized CGI character. Uh, so realistic. There were even there were moments where I was like, okay, what parts of her are real? What parts of her are fake? Did they just CGI enhance her eyes and her robot body? Like when she's wearing clothes, like, okay, that's how they hide her real body. No, 100% CGI created character. And it is really impressive. Not only... The realism, but also, you know, the characterization. You relate to this character. Um, I like that it made $400 million because I'm down to see more of this world, exploring the great war that led to the devastation, exploring more of the floating city. You know, I'm in. I, I in, You know me. If you've been listening to this podcast for a long enough time, you know that I'm in almost anywhere. And this was another one where I would revisit this world again. I would see way more motorball again. The, se the motorball sequence is one of the best action sequences of the year so far. And I would love to see more of that again. I will tell you right now, it is not a perfect movie. But I found it to be perfect popcorn because I just thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, there is nothing absolutely negative that I can say. Even the most negative things that it's cheesy that's a preference. That's your mileage may vary. You know, you might you might be find that endearing. So Alita Battle Angel was a real big surprise. I wasn't sure of how it was going to work. I wasn't sure if it was even going to be good. And I found myself really enjoying it. The next film that I want to talk about is one that is kind of near and dear to my heart because I've loved this franchise. And that's How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, or How to Train Your Dragon Part 3. Uh, it got a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. It got an A cinema score. It has made a, 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 a fairly large amount of money, almost $500 million worldwide. And if you have been sleeping on the How to Train Your Dragon series just because it's animated, you are missing out. This is the last film of the How to Train Your Dragon trilogy, and it finds Hiccup, our, our lead character, and Toothless, his dragon, you know, trying to keep the dragons safe, trying to keep the residents of their village, Burke, safe. And well, meanwhile, who Toothless, thought to be the last of his race, discovers that there is a female, a light fury to his night fury. Uh, and my favorite part about, I mean, 
There are a lot of things I love about this franchise, but one of my favorite parts is how the characters have grown and matured in ways that are really rare for animated films. You know, you look at, I mean, Shrek, you look at Toy Story, you look at any animated film where the characters are keep coming back. And while they may have grown emotionally, you know, Toy Story particularly, Physically speaking, they look the same. You know, Shrek, Donkey, they always look the same. Woody, Buzz, they always look the same. I love how not only do the characters in How to Train Your Dragon mature mentally, but they mature physically. They change physically. Their costumes change. Their armor changes. Um, and I think that's really, really rad. I think it's something that is rare in these animated films. And the fact that they got the original voice cast, minus T.J. Miller, you know, who's had some issues, um, to return... That's pretty impressive. That's no small feat. I mean, those there's some heavy hitters there. There's Kate Blanchett, Craig Ferguson, Academy Award winner F. Murray Abraham comes to this one. Jonah Hill, Kristen Wiig, Kit Harrington, Gerard Butler, like even David Tennant, you know, the former Doctor Who, uh, does a voice in this movie. And to bring them all back and get them back, I mean, Kate Blanchett. You're getting Kate Blanchett to come in and do another voice for your third animated film. That's impressive. Uh, the director, uh, Dean Dubois, um, and Dean Dubois, I'm probably pronouncing that you know incorrectly, so I apologize there. I believe he's put together what is genuinely one of the best and probably one of the most underrated trilogies in film. And I mean that animated or otherwise animated it is certainly up near the top probably toy story is above it but in in real life when you think about the trilogies the consistency of this series has never wavered it has always been not only really funny and thrilling and visually spectacular but also really emotionally deep and the themes that these films talk about you know Life, death, growing up, gaining responsibility, they mature along with the characters, along with the series. You know, this one particularly focuses a little bit more about growing up, accepting responsibility, you know, and the fear of moving on. You know, the fear of moving on to another phase of your life, to being able to say this phase of life is done and I am moving on. That's some heavy shit for an animated film, you know, for a for a for a children's animated film, if you will. And it's impressive. You know, it's really impressive. Again, the minor quibbles and weaknesses. One weakness in this general series is that the human villains or antagonists are not terribly memorable. But that being said, you know, F. Murray Abraham comes in as the bad guy, as Grimmel, who is, uh, you know, a dragon hunter. And he does good work. You know, he proves to be, you know, a formidable villain. Maybe not that memorable when it comes to everything else that's happening in the film. I mentioned before, but these movies are gorgeous. The animation style is gorgeous. The ac action sequences are kinetic. There's a couple shots that you've seen in the trailers that are phenomenal. They're of, of Toothless and Hiccup walking through the flames. Like, that's rad. That's some cool stuff on board there. Uh, the flying the flying sequences still make you feel like you're soaring you know, just as they did in the original. And that's also helped by not only the visuals of the film, but also the score by John Powell, which uh, the original score, How to Train Your Dragon score, was nominated for an Academy Award, probably should have won, because it's one that that original score is one of the best overall film scores in the past 20 years. I'll fight anyone on that. It's phenomenal. 
And the themes that he uses, you know, the love themes or the flying themes and whatnot, they've echoed throughout every, you know, entry in this trilogy. And he brings them back again here as well. They get a lot of play. That uh, that that theme is one of the best themes that has been written in the last 20 years, maybe even longer back then. But John Powell coming back to do the score again gives this movie an extra oomph, an extra push that it might not have gotten had you gotten somebody else to come in and do the score, which sometimes happens with you get this far into a trilogy. Um, talking a little bit, and, and we're keeping it spoiler-free here, but How to Train Your Dragon 3 is very, very emotional conclusion, but maybe not in the ways that you're in, you know, anticipating. There has always been, in my opinion, this little quiet, looming idea of finality to this series and that comes from the books in which they were adapted from the books that they were adapted from the how to train your dragon series actually start with the phrase there were dragons when i was a boy you know thus implying that whoever is telling the story is telling it now in a world where there are no dragons and that's really fascinating and kindly kind of like a kind of a sad way you know oh what happened to where there aren't dragons anymore. You know, what happened where they all disappeared and whatnot. And this film explores that. But it, again, it explores ways in it explores it in ways that you might not uh have anticipated. You might not have be aware of. I I just full disclosure right now, I straight up ugly cried watching this movie. I, I watched I caught the movie alone. Uh there were other people in the theater, obviously. Um, fortunately not too many sitting near me and I'm sitting there and I'm watching it and literally like the last 20 minutes of the film, I'm crying. I'm starting Oh, the tears are starting to roll down my cheeks. Oh, I'm full blown crying now, trying not to weep, trying not to like actually audibly cry in the movie theater. And you know what? It's great. I would do it again. Uh, it's hard to describe those types of things and it's hard to describe movies that make you cry as movies that you would you would revisit over and over again but it's just so beautifully done and as a trilogy ender i would argue that it is probably one of the best third entries in a trilogy you know in all of trilogies uh it's really good guys i i i don't have anything really else to say about it other than Watch these How to Train Your Dragon movies and check out the third one while you can on the big screen while it's still there. It's still racking up the money. It's still on on a, a number of big screens around the country. So check it out for sure. Before I talk about the last two, uh, I want to take this opportunity. We're going to do a quick pause for a little ad break. All right, movie buddies, before we wrap this up, I want to remind everyone that you can get regular episodes of this podcast delivered to you for free by hitting that subscribe button or following us wherever you're listening from. We'd really appreciate you. Just take a couple of seconds, just a couple of seconds. Give us a rating, hit that subscribe button, write a review, or... You know, share the popcorn diet with any of your own good movie buddies. We also want to remind you to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet and consider becoming a patron of the podcast. Not only is this going to help us improve the podcast, offer more additional content like review recap episodes, but it'll also give you access to exclusive patron only episodes like our franchise refills and more. So definitely check that out. Patreon.com slash the popcorn diet. Of course, we don't want you to 
going to forget that you can also follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, at The Popcorn Diet. And last but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, articles, videos, Oscar conversations, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. But let's talk about the last two entries here for this review recap episode. Both of these you can find right now. You can stop this episode right now and you can watch these on Netflix. If you're a Netflix subscriber, you can watch these immediately, right? And I don't I don't know if this is the way that they were intended to be seen or even should be seen, but what's cool is that you can watch them right now. You know, you don't have to wait, you don't have to go to the theater, you don't have to worry about all that crap. You can watch them right now. And the first movie that I want to talk about is Triple Frontier, which doesn't have a cinema score, but it does have a 72% on Rotten Tomatoes. And this is a big release for Netflix, in my opinion. It's got an A-plus cast. It's It was written by Mark Bowl and um, J.C. Chandor, who also directed it. And it's... It's your typical kind of men on a, you know, uh, good men doing bad things, breaking bad type of movie where you get a group of former soldiers, former brothers in arms uh, getting together to rob a South American drug lord of his money, you know, and then they try to escape. And as is, you know, how the things go in these type of movies, complications arise. And then not only do they have to survive people coming after them. But they got to survive a trek through the jungle, over the Andes Mountains, and they got to survive greed, you know, if nothing else. Um, the, like I said, the cast is crazy stacked. The, the movie as it exists now is Ben Affleck, Oscar Isaac, Charlie Hunnam, Garrett Hedlund, and Pedro Pascal. Uh, and what's crazy is that's a stacked cast as it is right uh, you know Ben Affleck is Ben Affleck Oscar Isaac Poe in the the new Star Wars movies Charlie Hunnam was in King Arthur's Sons of Anarchy Garrett Hedlund was in Tron and Friday Night Lights the Tron uh, Tron Legacy and then Pedro Pascal was in he was Oberon he he's the one who got his eyes gouged out in spoiler alert for Game of Thrones and Putting these guys together in this movie is a big, big deal. You know, they're all really quality, quality actors. But like I said, this movie has taken almost, I think it's almost 10 years to get this movie made. I think this movie was originally being adapted almost 10 years in uh, 2010. And the list of people that were almost in this movie is pretty wild. Here's a list. Originally, it was intended for Catherine Bigelow to direct. Catherine Bigelow, who directed The Hurt Locker, who directed Zero Dark Thirty. And she was originally going to direct Tom Hanks and Johnny Depp in this movie, which is wild to think about. Especially when you watch the movie that exists now, thinking about who is playing which character, thinking about John, uh, Tom Hanks in Ben Affleck's role in this movie boggles my mind. Tom Hanks and Johnny Depp were originally attached, but there is a laundry list of who's who actors who were attached to this movie. Will Smith, Channing Tatum, Tom Hardy, Mahershala Ali, Casey Affleck, Mark Wahlberg were all attached to do this movie at some point and then didn't do it for some form or another of reasoning. Obviously, it took nine years to make this movie. Ben Affleck even signed on for the production and then left and then came back. So it's the story. I'd love to just see a documentary about how this film got made and all the things that it went through to get this movie made. It is not... It's not a crowd pleaser type movie. And in reality, 
a lot of heist films aren't crowd pleasers. You know, if you think about Heat, if you think about um, now, I differentiate heist movies from like caper movies because then you have your Ocean's Eleven movies. You have Logan Lucky and stuff like that. Those are a lo- really light and really fun. But some of the deeper, darker crime heist movies typically aren't necessarily crowd pleasers. And this one is kind of half of a heist movie, half of a heart of darkness tale of man against nature and greed, right? As I mentioned before, the entire first half of the movie is all about the heist. The entire second half of the movie is all about surviving, you know? And these guys, these these actors that have been put together for this film, really great chemistry. You really feel like these guys were brothers. You really feel like these guys have a relationship. You buy the performances. I don't think any one of them gives a bad performance. Ben Affleck actually gives a really somber kind of sad performance on purpose. Oscar Isaac is great. Hunnam is great. Hedlund, Garrett Hedlund is the one who kind of gets to have the most fun and takes the biggest sort of, does the most quote-unquote acting with a capital A. But probably my favorite guy is Pedro Pascal in the movie. He plays the their pilot. And it's such an interesting character because it starts out as like, oh, this guy might not be cool. This guy's, oh, oh, he got pinched for drugs and whatever. But he actually turns out to be, you know, one of the more level-headed guys in the group trying to keep everybody focused. There's just something I appreciated about that. He's funny. He's affable. But he's also like, hey, guys, we need to get our shit together. Now, the reason I talked about the intention of how to watch these films is because this movie's gorgeous. The cinematography is gorgeous. It really should be seen on a big screen, and it probably should fuel the conversation of Netflix films on small screens. I will tell you right now, I watched this film on the smallest damn screen possible. I watched this on my phone on a plane So that's ridiculous, number one. But number two, it did keep me as a captive audience. I was able to focus on the film itself and focus on the details and whatnot. But there are gorgeous shots of the jungle, of the action taking place, and you can't help but feel they're a little bit wasted watching a movie on your phone or your computer or a tablet or hopefully on a big screen television. Um, Really, really great cinematography. Um, Who did the cinematography for this film? Oh, great. Another name I can't pronounce. Roman Vasianov. Vasianov? I don't know. That's pretty close. Um, And it's great. You know, it it looks great. It sounds great. Um, There's some heavy metal Metallica on the soundtrack that is just awesome. And the way that it triggers in is fantastic. The one thing that you that is I found interesting about this movie is it doesn't necessarily go in the directions that you think it will. You know, I talked about some movies before that are sort of in the same genre, these heist movies, these crime movies, and you it teases what you might expect. It teases how greed corrupts people. It it, it teases and, you know, it teases a growing body count. You know, who's going to make it out alive? But it does. It swerves considerably and it makes considerable changes and adjustments. And I think that that's what makes it interesting to me, um, it, that it doesn't go in the directions that you might think. I'll tell you one thing, and I'm not going to spoil it, obviously, but the way this film ends, it's it's it ends on a fairly somber note. But there is a, a there's a small twist at the end that the more I think about it, the more I like and the more I'm like, that's awesome. 
And again, you know, your, your mileage may vary on that, but I really enjoyed Triple Frontier. Uh, it's a little slower than you might expect. It's a little, it's a little, it's not like a big action shoot 'em up or anything like that. But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the performances. I enjoyed everything. I'm gonna give it movie theater popcorn. I think perfect popcorn. You know, it's not a perfect film uh, in that its pacing does slow a little bit and it does things unexpectedly, which not necessarily a bad thing, but maybe not the best thing as well. Um, and so, yeah, I, I give it movie theater popcorn, even though you can't see it in a movie theater right now. Like you might as well just turn the podcast off and watch it right now and come back and, and listen to me talk about it again. I think it was really good stuff. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the camaraderie. I enjoyed the costume design, little touches like that. I thought were really cool. Now, the last thing that I'm going to talk about here, it's a little different. It's not actually a film. It's not actually a movie. I wanted to take a couple of minutes at the end here to talk about the new Netflix quote-unquote series called Love, Death, and Robots. And it's an animated series. It's 18 episodes. It's not really a series, though. It's really more of... Each episode is a different short film. They're completely unrelated. It's an anthology series. So each episode is completely different. And it's a series of short films. So that's why I feel like I can still talk to it here. We're not talking about a television show. We're not talking about Big Bang Theory or Game of Thrones here. We're talking about a series of short films. And I think that short films often get to short end of the stick, pun fully intended. When it comes to consumption, you don't oftentimes get to consume short films and and get the opportunity to consume and see how efficiently short films have to tell their story. You know, short films only get a, you know a fraction of the time that a a feature film gets to, to un unfold a story. So in 8, 10, 15 minutes, a short film has to establish its characters, establish its plot, establish its twists and things like that. And I find that really interesting. And with Love, Death and Robots, this is a anthology series on Netflix. So you can watch it right now. And it's produced by David Fincher and Tim Miller, who directed Deadpool. Now, again, these are all short animated films that lean towards the sci-fi fantasy, you know, they don't lean towards it. They're all sci-fi fantasy short films dealing with at least one of the three items, love, death, robots, sometimes more, sometimes all three. But the biggest thing I want you to remember about this series is this is not for children. This is a not safe for work series. This is adult animation in a big, bad way. And it's funny because going all the way back to heavy metal and then seeing adult animation, it's not a super common thing to see. Adult animation really isn't terribly mainstream, I don't think. But you see heavy metal. You see Sausage Party is another example of one. Um, anything on Adult Swim obviously veers more towards adult here. But adult animation to me... It's, I don't know if it'll ever not be a little weird. It almost feels like when I was watching, I'm a full-grown male. You know, I'm an adult, and I'm watching this, and it's cartoons, and they're, you know, have nudity, lots of nudity. They have violence, severe violence, and cursing, and you can't help but feel like, oh, I'm doing a bad thing here. Like, I might get caught. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that feeling is about, but it's super fascinating to me because 
these these stories are really interesting. Now, because it's 18 short stories, not all are the same. You know, some are more simple, some are different. There is a, a really awesome variety of animation styles on display here from photoreal CG to hand-drawn to cell-shaded CGI. You have goofy styles of computer-animated cartoons. You have realistic styles, some that look genuinely like these look like real people. Um, it's a wild variety. And the cool part is that it comes from a variety of animation studios. Most of them, though, they come from Tim Miller's Blur Studios, and that's where he got started. He got started in short animated films. He got started in video game, like, cinematic trailers. So there are trailers that you can go out and look, watch right now. Like, there was a Justice League trailer for an online game. That is awesome. And it's a six-minute preview for an online game. Tim Miller directed that kind of stuff. And then he moved on to Deadpool. And now he's currently doing working on the next Terminator film with James Cameron. And I find that super interesting because it gives these animation studios the opportunity to tell their short stories and to get those stories out there. And the stories, they range. Boy, howdy, do they have a swinging range in tone. From deadly serious to kind of really stupid and funny, from happy stories to sad stories, from funny stories to scary stories. You know, when I when I went to film school, we all when I, I didn't go to film school, but when I went to school to study film, one of the things I noticed about everybody in our filmmaking class was that we all had to write short stories, right? We all had to write a short 10-minute movie, which is about 10 pages of script. 10 to 15 minutes is what we were trying to gun for. And I, my story was one of the only funny ones. It was a real kind of goofy kind of comedy. And a lot of them that were written were like super serious, angsty, teenage, college kid, dealing with suicide and breakup and anxiety and stuff like that. And so I'm glad that these short films are not all dark and brooding, although there are some that are quite dark and quite brooding, but there are also some that are really goofy and silly as well. So whether it be something like Sunny's Edge or Zima Blue, who are fairly serious and they deal with deeper themes, or... Other ones like When the Yogurt Took Over, Alternate Histories, those are infinitely more humorous. Um, and then there are other ones. There's one that's called Sucker of Souls that is traditional 2D hand-drawn animation. That's more of a monster action-adventure one. Uh, you have another one called Ice Age that actually incorporates some live action in with its animation. Really, really interesting stuff here. If I had to list off my favorite segments, I have five. I have five ones that are my favorite. They're all really good. You know, some of them better than others, obviously. But I really like Sunny's Edge. It's badass. It's violent. It's about a woman who can, uh, what is the word, connect and fight monsters in an underground arena via mind link and the fighting between the monsters is just rad as hell it's got a great twist it's super violent um, but sunny's edge really enjoyed that beyond the aquilia aquila aquilia whatever i can't pronounce it but but beyond the aquilia rift is definitely the most adult 
in that there is a lot of sex in it. There's a lot of nudity in that one. And that one's like photo real too. So it's like, tee hee hee. Um, but it's probably also the most sci-fi about a crew of, um, on a spaceship that finds themselves way off course. Uh, so that one I thought was really good. Zima blue is deeply profound, beautifully animated, but deeply profound is like a character study. Really enjoyed that one. Three Robots is probably one of the funniest ones. It's about three robots who are touring the post-apocalyptic you know, city. And it's like, oh, look at these dead humans. What is this thing they used to do? And the humor is really dry. It's really funny and it's really infectious. And then the last one is called Suits. And it's about farmers who use mech suits to fight off gigantic bug-like creatures. And it's straight up awesome. Like this, That one's probably... The most like this is we're doing an action sequence. You know, we're doing an extended start, ramp up, beginning, middle, end action scene. And the cell shaded CG, the, it's not really cell shaded per se, but it definitely has a unique computer animated look to it. And it's just awesome. If you like giant mech suits, like blowing away hordes of gross, you know, creatures, gross uh, <laughs> spider creatures or whatever. Suits is pretty rad. Um, and yeah, that's, again, Triple Frontier and Love, Death, and Robots are out right now. Love, Death, and Robots, remember, boy, howdy, is it not friendly for children. Very violent, very sexy, lots of, lots of, lots of nudity, and lots of swears as well. So keep that in mind when you're checking it out. But but I enjoyed all of them. I mean, that one is hard to give like a perfect popcorn tour or whatever. But I enjoy them, if nothing else, than to see how these different stories are being told. And that is going to do it for our review recap. So before we wrap up again, I want to remind everybody to, you know, Get those, get these regular episodes by hitting that subscribe button, following us on Spotify, on iTunes, on the uh, Google Play. There's so many different places where you can listen to the Popcorn Diet. YouTube, we're on YouTube now. So go hit that subscribe button. You get new episodes all the time. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that. Check us out on Patreon. You know, we're looking to try and expand the podcast, do more episodes like this, but we can only do it with your help. So if you go to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet, throw a couple bucks our way as a patron, we're going to reward you. You know, hopefully you'll find the reward to be worth it, but we're going to reward you with new content, new podcasts, some swag, some merch as we as we gain more traction of course if you don't want to do any of that you can always just follow us on social media on facebook on twitter on instagram at the popcorn diet and last but as always certainly not least make sure to check out all of our reviews all of our regular episodes all of our articles and more on our website popcorndietpodcast.com but that's it so i am your very best good movie buddy rick williamson we're going to wrap this episode up and we'll see you next time with another good movie on the Popcorn Diet. Adios.